Hello and welcome to another episode of Positively PCAVs, the podcast brought to you by the Perthington North Charity PCAVs. I'm Jenny and I am here with Amy again. Hi. And this week we are going to be joined by Stuart from Pink Saltire and Claire from Perth Pride. We are really excited to be talking to them about all things Pride Month, which as you may already know is June, and how that has looked different this year because of coronavirus. But before we get to all of that, Amy, how's your week been? It's been good. It's been good. I got my first McDonald's this week since the reopening of the McDonald's drive throughs which I, honestly I wasn't bothered about until um, someone brought me it and socially distancedly dropped it off on my doorstep. <laughs> It is genuinely exciting and you don't realise the things that actually aren't that important but you do miss when you can't have them. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it. All my friends were really excited to say, oh, you know, McDonald's is opened again. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> Did we go every day before? What was my pre-COVID life like? I did go and get a drive through at lunchtime yesterday. Mm-hmm. I went and the queue aren't that bad anymore. So we have had loads going on the past couple of weeks. Mm, Yes, super busy. We had a great time last week putting together the Caters Week episode of the podcast. uh, And you will have seen there were loads and loads of events happening online from our Caters Hub. Oh, yeah, I think they're all they're all taking like a week of sleep. (laughs) I would be. They have been busy, busy bees. And last week, we also launched our wishing tree, which is super exciting. Yeah, the wishing tree is super exciting. So if you have any hopes and ideas you want to add to our wishing tree, um, you can pop down to the gateway on Wednesdays and Thursdays, where you can pop into the garden and write your note and pop it on the tree. And if you're not able to make it to the gateway, you can, of course, send us it via post at freepost-pcavs uh, you don't need a, a stamp for that you can just write it on the envelope and pop it in your local post box which actually reminds me we're also still running send a smile so if people have cards pictures letters that they would love to get to uh, key workers they can do the same with them just write free post pcavs on the envelope stick them in the post box don't need a stamp and we will get them there we dropped some off today at the police station, which was lovely. The officers were really excited to get a wee cake and some cards made by some local kids. That's so cute. It was very cute. So without further ado, then we will move on to our interview with Stuart and Claire. So this week, Amy and I are here with Stuart from Pink Saltire. Hello, good to be here. And Claire from Perth Pride. Hi. And we're looking forward to having a great conversation with you guys about Pride Month, the things that are still going on, the things that have had to be moved, some of the issues that are coming up. Uh, So to start us off, though, for those who might not be so familiar with each of the organisations and what you do, could you tell us a little bit about yourselves and about those organisations? So thanks for, for having us on. It's, it's great to be able to talk to everybody. Um, some people in Perth and Cross and beyond may well know a wee bit about Pink Saltire. We're a national LGBT organisation. We launched in uh, 2014. We got registered and started some uh, project work in 2015. So we've been around for a few years now. Um, our aim is really about trying to make sure the voices of LGBT people from outside of the the big cities of Edinburgh and Glasgow are heard and that they have some kind of influence over the services um, that are provided to them in that area. It's as simple as that. We had, um, you know, previous experience of growing up in Fife and that's really where where my background is and some of the trustees that that helped form the organisation and we saw, you know, vast differences in, in how LGBT people were treated here in a more rural setting than they are in Edinburgh and Glasgow. There's certainly a huge difference in the terms of uh, services that are available and we wanted to try and do something about that. So we've been working over the last few years to to do just that, to improve not just the visibility here in our own backyard here in Fife, but to um, really explore what services are already out there and how we can improve the services available for people outside of Edinburgh and Glasgow. Um, And Claire and Perthshire Pride is actually one of the results of that uh, work. So 
a couple of years ago, we worked with Perth and Kinross Council to look at LGBT representation in the area. And we came up with a, a public consultation to try and get a, a Pride event organised in the area. And uh, Claire's Perthshire Pride is the result of that consultation. We had some fantastic people step forward. Claire was one of those individuals who were really keen to get involved and, and make sure they, they could try and make a difference in their local area. Uh, and, and hence came about the very first Perthshire Pride, which I'm sure Claire will, will talk about in just a second. So that, that's the type of work that we do. We like to get out uh, across the country from the islands um, to, to uh, some of the other big cities as well and, and just really try and make sure people are aware that not all of us have the same types of experiences in our lives just because of where we come from. And we also shouldn't have to move away from those areas just to take part in LGBT life and um, you should be able to stay where you are and, and have a healthy happy um, inclusive life wherever you live. Thank you Stuart. So Claire can you tell us a little bit about Perthshire Pride and how that came about and the work that you guys are doing? Yeah of course so um, as Stuart said there as well Perthshire Pride came from the public consultation that Pink Saltair actually ran and um, that was back in, oh God, you have to correct me, Stuart, is it, was it 2017? I think at the very end of 2017. That's right, yep. Yeah, aye. Um, so I went to, along to that, that consultation. I just actually moved back to Perth. Um, so I'm born and bred in Perth. Um, and I had been living away for a wee while. I was living in um, like Dundee for a while, Melbourne, loads of major cities. And I, and I came back to Perth and I kind of came back to a, almost a standstill of what I'd been living in, in um, in all these major cities, there was no representation in Perth. There was there was nothing that you could do for like a, a gay night out, anything like that. That just kind of seemed like there was nothing. So when I seen that Pink Salt Tower on this consultation, I thought, well, that's like the perfect opportunity to to even see what something could happen in Perth. Um, so I went along, and it, yeah, as, as you said, there was quite a good turnout, and um, lots of people wanted to get involved. And then they kind of asked, right, who wants to kind of take this forward? And I thought there was well, there was no better, <laughs> there was no better time to get involved. So I, I said I would, I would um, help taking this on. Um, and we then had our first ever Pride event in 2018. Uh, very small compared to what we had last year, um, but it was still something that people needed. There was nothing else, as I said, in Perth. Um, we just, just there wasn't really anything that we could do. So um, we, I had a very, very small team of three people at that point. Uh, managing to run the first Pride, um, very limited money as well, obviously just from the first kind of uh, our startup, it was it was very limited money. People weren't really sure as if we could even do something in Perth, just because there was nothing like that before that had happened. Um, so yes, yeah, so we started that and it actually, it, it was a major success. We got like 3,000 people coming and um, there was something that people actually wanted and they were asking for for next year. So we made it obviously a regular event and we went, we came on leaps and bounds last year as well. We managed to get up to 7,000 people coming along. And the, just the feedback of people saying that, wow, they never thought anything like this would happen in Perth, like just things like that. And it was, it was so lovely. And we've managed to get a lot of more uh, sponsors and people want to get involved, local businesses, loads of things like that. So it was, it was really, really nice. Um, I think we're known as well for just holding one major event, but we do hold events throughout the year as well. We've got like smaller events coming up. Um, Socials we hold, we, we host like a lot of training sessions as well with local businesses. We are starting to now kind of get into that um, wider area of Perth and Canoss in the future. So yeah, so it's started small, but we're, we're growing every year. Not to mention, with my absolute nerd hat on here, that in 2019 Gandalf came to Perth, right? Yeah. Which I think we should make sure that we see. Because I think that's yeah. important. Yeah, it was it was a chance. We we just we just thought we well we are a bunch of chancers. We were just like you know what we're just going to ask. He was in Dundee anyway, um, and he was actually travelling through Perth. He, he was on he was doing his seventieth birthday tour, and he was going to from Dundee up to Pitlochry. Um, and the Saturday that actually Perth Pride was on, he actually had a free day anyway. So we were like you know what let's put it out there into the universe. Let's see if we can get on. Let's try to get Gandalf back to the Shire that's kind of what we ran with and it actually worked and but the thing was he didn't tell us until the day before and he actually didn't even tell us he, he told his um he told the audience in Dundee he was just like oh yeah tomorrow I'm going to be going to Perth Surprise blah, blah 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 and luckily a friend of mine was in the crowd and they phoned me and were like oh my god why didn't you tell me that's amazing I didn't I didn't know like um Sammy McKellen was coming tomorrow and I was like what he's coming tomorrow <laughs> I was like so luckily I kind of got a little bit more um like security in place and we, we'd had a, a plan in action just in case 
he did come but yeah no we actually found second hand that he was coming <laughs> that's amazing it's an excellent example though genuinely of how social media can be great sometimes for just going hey actually this is what we really want to happen help us make it happen and it's working i think it definitely is and i would just just recently i was doing some editing for a video that's going out for a huge global pride event in a couple of weeks um and there's a clip that i managed to get of uh on stage in perth city center and he uh, he says something very complimentary about Perth, uh, Perthshire Pride, that um, it's one of the most beautiful walks down the side of the Tay, uh, from I think the inches down to the city centre. And he said it was uh, he's been on hundreds of Pride marches all over the world, and that was one of the uh, one of the prettiest walks he's ever been on. So well done to Claire and her team for getting that landed. Thank you, and we managed to get the good weather as well. It was meant to be a yellow weather morning, <laughs> so everybody was thinking we were going to have to cancel. But then, for some reason, on the day it was just glorious up until about three o'clock. So the yeah, the odds were really in our favour that day. Oh yeah, that's high praise. So many listeners will know that the whole of June is Pride Month. So can both of you give us just a little bit more information about Pride, its history, and just generally its significance to the community? Uh, shall I start on that one? Yeah, the, um, so, so obviously last year, uh, 2019, saw the 50th anniversary of uh, really a turning point in LGBT history and, and for LGBT rights across the world. So the Stonewall riots were held on the 28th of June 1969 and um, there, there's some controversy even around what we call that event because lots of people believe that it genuinely was a, a riot. It was uh, you know, people pushing back against oppression that had built up for many, many years. Um, there was no pride events in the sense that we have them today. This was a very, very different event back then um, and, and culminated in, um, you know, night after night of um, police action, of raids on uh, different pubs and, and uh, different places that LGBT people congregated. Um, but some of the, the, the facts around that event um, are often glossed over or pinkwashed, some people call it. Um, but there, there were people took part in that that uh, riot, and they were probably some of the most marginalised people within a marginalised community in New York City at that time. So it was sex workers that took part. It was trans people of colour that took part. Um, there were individuals who were homeless, who, um, you know, were almost on the outskirts of what you would call a mainstream uh, LGBT community. It was it was a gay community at that point. We didn't have the language at that point to express the diversity of the community even, even back then. But what it sparked, certainly within the US, and there are, uh, you know, there are absolute um, connections to what we're seeing just in recent times in America, um, was a wave of solidarity for uh, LGBT rights in, in the States back then. So within six months um, in, in New York City, there were a number of different groups who were forming and coming together to represent those people who had been, um, you know, abused and terrorised in their communities over the previous uh, few months. Within a, within a year, they had um, pride marches or uh, protest marches in New York City, in Chicago, in LA, in San Francisco in 1970. That then spread throughout the states and here in the UK, uh, London was the first place to hold a pride, uh, a pride protest, as it was back then in 1972. And here in Scotland, to bring it um, to bring it some Scottish context, there were a few different events before there was a an official pride event. I guess you could call it so. I was doing a bit of research um, for, for another project that we've been doing and there was a, an event called Lark in the Park in Edinburgh uh, back in uh, May 1988 um, and, and that was the one of the first examples of people in Scotland really gathering together in protest um, about the way LGBT people were being treated here and abroad and against some of the you know significant um, restrictions on their liberties um, that we would probably take for granted today. Um, in terms of actual Pride protest marches, um, there wasn't one with Lark in the Park, but there was one uh, in June 1980, 1991 sorry, in Edinburgh. And then 
the first, uh, I guess, official Scottish Pride took part on the 17th of June 1995. And this would have been the 25th anniversary year of uh, Pride events pre-COVID. We were, uh, there were lots of plans for a, a big celebration to mark that 25th anniversary in, in the capital. Um, since then, you know, Pride events have been held through uh, Edinburgh and Glasgow mainly, with some uh, satellite events across different parts of the country. And really, only since 2015 have things started to to grow significantly. So, uh, there were three Pride events in Scotland in 2015, four in 2016. Uh, it grew by another one in 2017, as Claire was talking about when we added Fife Pride, and then in 2018. Uh, there were 13 different events and last year an incredible 21 different uh, LGBT Pride events across Scotland and the growth in those events just in the last four, four or five years has been phenomenal but the growth from smaller more rural communities and regions has been extraordinary so you would imagine that Pride events were held in major cities or um, capital cities of countries all over the world but here in Scotland and growing across the world, you've got really small communities like island communities. Isle of Butte had their first Pride a couple of years ago. Um, we've got Pride events up in the Hebrides. This year would have been Orkney's first Pride event had, had COVID, COVID not come along and spoil it. So, so there's, there's a huge array of communities want to step forward that have confidence now um, to, to step up and hold their first event. And I think that's just something fantastic to witness, to, to you know, be part of those riots and standing up against people who are oppressing uh, us as, as human beings would have been an incredible thing to, to have achieved. And that legacy continues through um, all of the work that LGBT activists and campaigners do now. But I feel really privileged that in a small country like Scotland right now, we're seeing a similar explosion in identity uh, confidence. You know, people are willing and, and able to step out on the streets of their local high street and march for solidarity with the rainbow flags and their whistles um, in places that you would never have expected it before. And I think that's wonderful. Absolutely. It's an incredible legacy. Claire, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about... Um, the local context, so obviously as Stuart's alluded to, Pride looks quite different this year because of COVID and it's been affected like loads of things have been by COVID and by the lockdown. So how does Pride Month look different in Perth this year from maybe what you had planned and how it would normally look? Yeah, um, we had a big a big uh, plan this year. <laughs> um, we had managed to gain like lots of funding and stuff, which obviously uh, with COVID we've not managed to do, but we are especially um vigilant of like the route like how rural Perthshire is the pride day itself we we've seen lots of people coming from like you know like Blair Gowrie, Pitlochry, Oxrarders as far as Kinlochranach we've seen people actually coming in for that one day but we were very worried that because they don't have that one day to kind of almost like come as a collective community that they were almost maybe going to feel a, bit, a little bit lonely they were going to get a little bit disconnected from that community during um during pride um, so we've We've been working really hard to try to give people just that, you know, that connection just via, via the internet. We've we've had um, and we will be hosting a, a large social on on Sunday. We'll be having people. We've been having people um, connect over our LGBT friends group as well on Facebook, just saying to them like, do you know, do you know if you need any anybody just to talk to anybody like that, just just give us a call. Like we've got somebody that will be able to just give you a text, you know, just even Facebook Messenger. We're just trying to kind of connect people in any way possible that we can when you actually can't physically see them. I think the what COVID's really taught us, um, especially especially this month in Pride Month, is that you do need that that social connection face to face. I think a lot of people are really really missing that and are, are noticing now that even though they your friends are you know only a phone call away, that when you can't see them, it's really it does really take a toll on you. And especially in the LGBT community, when you're maybe living rurally. Um, you don't have that connection to your community that you normally would by being able to go out to, I don't know, even Glasgow, Edinburgh, one of the gay bars, one of the local gay bars. You, you can't you can't do that and can't um, like sit with your community and like-minded people or uh, share your struggles even. So we've we've had to had to really um, start thinking how we can do that digitally now, and um, we are getting there. We've got um, our our socials coming up. As I said, we've got people dialing in and texting each other 
connected, they've probably never even met before ever, but they're now texting each other and possibly getting up to some form of um, support there. And we're also really trying to um, focus on just people's mental health in general. Um, it's not only just affecting LGBT people, but um, it's it's definitely something that's when you're when you're confined confined to possibly four walls, or even some people are living in um, in families that maybe aren't as accepting as them. That's taking a real toll. Before they had an escape, like they could go somewhere else, they could you know they could get out the house for a bit. But right now, when it's as bad um, as this, we're we're really just trying to trying to offer yeah that support that kind of like don't worry like we we know you can't see us right now but we are there you, we can just contact us however you want if you're ever in, in needs like somebody is there for you even though you may not have even met them before so that, that's kind of what we've tried to get um as, as like a pride month thing for us <laughs> and since we can't have that one big day where you have that visibility we're just trying to try to digitally be there for people at the moment I guess uh, um, everything you've just said there kind of relates to our next question, which is um, talking about how COVID has affected LGBT communities on much uh, on a more broad scale. Like, can you talk us through maybe some of the impacts that the current COVID crisis is having on the communities, um, just wider? So, we um, Stuart probably knows a lot, a little bit more about this because he's running a project at the moment in Fife regarding um, care packages. Um, so I don't know, if, Stuart, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, relatively early on in this crisis, uh, and we were talking about this just before we came on uh, to the podcast. We, I, I would definitely say, I personally went through, and I know colleagues of mine, volunteers with the charity, went through a period of you know severe anxiety. What, what? is this pandemic what's it going to mean for our lives i think you saw a symptom of that in uh things like panic buy and people going to the shops for everything they could possibly get because we'd never come across a scenario like this we'd never planned for it in our own lives to be part of a global pandemic where you know we'd be we'd literally be locked in our houses and, and not able to go anywhere because of a, a, a killer virus um there are so many aspects of that when you run a, a charity like ours or um, you know you run uh, community events for people you know you're driven by a desire to help and when that um, when that's been taken away from you the ability to do that has been restricted to doing it through a screen um, you know you you definitely feel <laughs> cut off from what makes you tick you know often third sector leaders are driven by that desire to to get involved in the community and to help people when they're in crisis and you know for for many of us i just felt that there was there was no outlet for that for lgbt people there was no coordinated approach there was no uh, research being done there was no data to understand what the needs were and i always um i always feel that we're often very privileged to be able to talk through a screen to be able to concentrate on what's going on for somebody next door you know many many people not just lgbt people are living from day to day on extremely low incomes and can't afford a super fast broadband connection or cannot afford a laptop to be able to connect to the new digital services so uh, you know once we got over and once i personally got over that kind of period of personal anxiety um, and worry about my own life then and, and, and my loved ones then i was able to, to start to look at right well how can we help the outside what are the restrictions and how can we work within that that kind of framework to be able to support people um so we we did a couple of things right at the very start um at the, from middle from mid-march we did a survey of other local lgbt organizations across scotland so we knew we probably weren't alone in facing you know significant financial pressures on wanting to do something but not sure what that something should be on uh, having resources available we have office space we have um, you know digital resources we've got licenses for things how could that help the wider movement in a coordinated way um, and for a couple of weeks we've done a survey to be able to understand the needs of those community groups first of all to be able to then deliver any services to, to people in the community um, and and the results were 
terrifying. They were scary. You know, more than two thirds of people were likely to face a financial impact uh, within the first three months. Um, many were at crisis point before that. They didn't have huge cash reserves to be able to hang on for a wee while while COVID, you know, dealt with uh, the, the the issues that were affecting communities in uh, in Scotland and then come back to their normal work. But, you know, that's just not the reality for many small-scale regional uh, LGBT groups and other charities in Scotland, as we're now seeing. But we use that information to try and help us understand what some of the immediate needs were. And if what we were seeing through the groups and the services that we run in Fife um, were similar to what other people were, were finding in other areas. And, and frankly, they were. There, were. there were issues around loneliness. There were issues around the estrangement from families. So where lots of us have spent many, many more hours with our families, sometimes to the frustration of, of individuals, um, there are so many LGBT people who don't speak to their families or don't have um, you know, links where they can go and spend three months at their parents' house. That's just not an option for many people. We often talk about our, our LGBT family being chosen. We choose the friends that we want to, to um, you know, do things with and engage with. And to be separated through law from those individuals is, is extremely difficult. So the, the crisis for individuals in the community linked to those organisations for us came out as uh, loneliness and isolation, came out as having you know, significant um, shortage of, of access to food or uh, immediate funds to be able to go out and get extra items from the shops because they're going to be closed for a, a certain number of days. There were, there were so many problems coming out that we felt we needed to act immediately. And, and we were able to secure some funds to do, as, as Claire was talking about, some relief work just here in Fife as a bit of a pilot to see whether we could scale that up and, and move into other areas across Scotland. A great opportunity is um, the Terence Higgins Trust, um, which is a charity that um, offers support for those that are HIV positive or um, for testing and AIDS and um, any services that, that go around that. They are, host, um, are doing a massive campaign at the moment, which is I actually think is, is fantastic, which is called um, like Breaking the Chain. So right now, while we're all in lockdown, they are offering anybody free HIV testing home kits. So you get a, um, it's about a DVD size home kit that gets delivered to your house for absolutely free if you live in NHS um, Kayside area. You, you prick your finger, you do, the, you do the test, and it'll tell you there and then in 15 minutes if you are HIV positive or negative. Um, it, it gives you like all the resources to say, like, you know, if, if you get the results that maybe you didn't, you didn't want, um, here's who you phone, here's how you can get help, this is the, the medication that you would be able to take. It gives you a really good indication of, um, of that. So it's an opportunity now for people who are living in isolation before they go back out into, the, um, back into like their, their lives to know if they are HIV and what their status is and they can then take the, the necessary steps they can. Um, because there is uh, such a stigma over it that a lot of people think that once you have it, that's it, that's your life over. And it's really not that. It's really, um, there's, there's medications um, to, to actually help. You can actually live a complete, full, happy, healthy life being HIV positive. It's, um, and it's a good opportunity. So that's, if you go on the Terence Higgins Trust website, you can get that, that pack for free. Um, and it comes, as I say, very discreetly. You, you wouldn't even know what it is in case there is, you are maybe living with family that are, um, don't know that you're gay or, or anything like that or, or um, whatever it is. So that's, that's a really, really good opportunity for people to, to start seeing what their status is now and, and kind of take the steps before that this lockdown ends. Well, we'll certainly put a link to that website in the show notes for anyone who'd like to have a look and find out more okay. about the Terence Higgins Trust, what they're doing in that specific project Claire, thank you. I think it's also worthwhile, you know, in, in the same vein as, as Claire was sharing information about the HIV services, um, to, to recognise that there are other national organisations doing uh, their bit to take part as, as well and support communities. I mean, the Scottish Government has invested some cash to extend the LGBT helpline opening hours. So LGBT health and wellbeing run that service in Edinburgh, but it's for anyone across the country to 
to take part, to call up, to uh, get some advice, to get some uh, direction to services in the local community. They've also got a, a, a befriending service for people who are isolated or lonely in their communities and also a service which reaches out to those who are seen as elders in our community, maybe over 50s, um, who are part of that, maybe part of that shielding group as well, who are being forced to, um, you know, stay, in, stay at home, not see their friends, not have contact, which is extremely difficult for, for uh, you know, an older person to do that at any time of year but in the middle of summer um, when they'd normally want to be getting out and seeing and uh, taking part in all the different pride events and, and LGBT events across the country must be must be terrible um, and also uh, you know the, the team at uh, Equality Network have been able to secure uh, licenses for Zoom for example for, for Claire and for other organisations to be able to get online and connect with people who are able to use that that type of service and it, it keeps that connection going it keeps that that sense of belonging uh, that people often often need to a community or, or an event or group of people um, lgbt youth scotland have uh, made a huge investment in digital services for uh, youth work so they're able to run lots of their youth organizations uh, which would have been youth groups in community centers and, and uh, town halls all over the, the country onto a, a digital platform so there's there's lots of ways in which you can connect but for us i think we we wanted to go uh, down a layer you know we wanted to absolutely make sure that the fundamentals were right for people that they had access to foods that they had access to fresh fruit and vegetables for example um, and where they needed to they were supported to get online you know through the purchase of uh, laptops or mobile top-ups or whatever they needed and that's fantastic and again we'll make sure that there's links in the show notes to all of that so that if people would like to find out more or access any of those services they can absolutely do that. Yeah, so I, I guess following on from that, a bigger question that I'd, I'd love to hear from both of you on, which is um, looking to the future and thinking about our local and Scottish context in particular, what does equality for LGBT communities, true equality for LGBT communities look like? Well, that's a, that's a huge question. Um, you know, for, for decades now, we talked about the history of pride and protest, um, and, and you know the, the huge journey that people have been on in this country is, has been on for LGBT equality and we, we have to pay respect to those activists, those campaigners, those um, just regular normal people that went out on the streets and said you know these actions, this law, um, you know these restrictions on, on who we are and our ability to express who we are publicly um, are not on and we need to be able to fight back against that you would think um you know 20 30 years on from those protests we would have made lots and lots of progress and we wouldn't have to go out uh, protesting anymore um, but that's simply not the case so there have been some huge wins um you know but this year we're marking the the abolition of section 28 um which was a huge shadow over scottish education um but the i guess the the light at the end of that tunnel is that Scotland will become the first country in the world to legislate for inclusive education in all public schools. So, you know, that's a massive change for a country like us, genuinely leading the way across the world. Um, but if you look at the situation with uh, trans rights, with um, the representation of people of colour in our community, with hate crime against LGBT people being at, being at its highest level since the legislation was introduced 10 years ago, there are still so many issues out there to deal with. And COVID has come and interrupted some of that, but that campaigning cannot stop. Um, you know, the, the attack on trans people's rights, uh, if you look at the GRA debate, GRA debate over the last um, couple of years now, it seems to have been going on forever. Um, I think that's just a, an example of uh, the 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 type of dialogue that is coming for LGBT people more generally over the next few months, and we have to get organised. We have to, um, you know, stand together in solidarity against that kind of stuff. We can see it in other countries. Um, you know, there was a, a good example uh, just during this crisis of uh, Hungary, I think, trying to roll back the rights of LGBT people, specifically trans and non-binary people. Um, you know, by making their identities illegal just because of COVID that I mean it just does not make sense but it, it shows that, that people are looking for legislators and, and powerful people are looking for 
any excuse to be able to roll back these rights and to take away the safeguards that we have in place right now. So where we take for granted that we're able to go out onto the streets and, and uh, celebrate pride and to celebrate the achievements that we've had, um, the reality is they can be they can be taken away relatively easier, easily, um, and, and that's quite scary. So that that's why we need to continue to work together to fight for everybody in the community that doesn't have um, the same rights as you do. And, and right now, that's about people of colour, that's about um, trans and non-binary people, and we have uh, you know, I, I, I'm often someone who will will support politicians when they're saying the right things, but when somebody stands at a pride event and says there's more to do, um, and doesn't put their money where their mouth is, that gets very frustrating. And we've heard that for a number of years now. Um, politicians like to come forward and take part in pride events, like to make speeches, and and like to be seen to be supportive of LGBT people, but they need to be able to fund the services that will make the change in their communities and that's what we haven't seen over the last few years i would say that we need to go much much further than we currently have okay i would um equality for me would look like just normalizing <laughs> like just not it's just a normal thing that you've got that you're lgbt and just full integration into into normal into normal life i think right now i there's still that little bit in especially in Perth and Ross that People are still thinking of you as different or weird or unusual if you are LGBT in Perth. You know, some people have always said that, that having a Perth, um, a Perthshire Pride is pointless, like almost as if like, oh, there's no, there's no gay people here, there's no LGBT people here in Perth, when in fact there is. Comments at, at, in places of work I've, I've had as well of like when I've said like I've got a, a girlfriend or that and it's almost like a shock, like, oh, oh, we didn't know that. And it, it also, all those little things that make you feel that make you feel different. That make you feel that you're you're weird or unusual or or something like that. I think yeah, quality f for me is just that it wouldn't be a shock that it's people don't automatically assume that you're straight or people don't automatically assume that that you you, you do a, a certain thing. It's just people kind of know that that is an identity that people have, um, and and that's okay. And that shouldn't ever be like a oh all right okay I, that that's that's different. I now need to ask you questions that you probably wouldn't ask a normal straight person um, the, the questions that I've definitely been asked before is especially things about you know your sex life or things like that and you're like why you wouldn't ask a, you wouldn't ask a straight person that like why are you asking me that especially in a place that like you know that I wouldn't I don't even know you um, so I think there's just a small slight inequalities just now and differences that some people think that just because we've got our our rights um, Still, we've obviously got a way to get, a, a way to go with them um, transgender rights. But for the um, people think that just because you've got your rights or you're legal, that that's it. That that people's um, everybody's opinion has changed, and that's not true. There's still people that that opinions are um, what we would say is maybe problematic. Um, I've had people just shut down a conversation because because you're LGBT because they feel that automatically don't have anything in common with you. Whereas that's actually being LGBT is such a probably a small part of your life really is. You've got so much other to you than just being LGBT. So I think just, just when we stop have, having to prove our worth or prove our existence in everyday life, um, I think that's when true equality will will happen. When, when it's not weird that you might have a gay daughter or a gay son or um, you've got, you know, you, yeah you, you might have a, a transgender friend or anything like that and you have to almost but when you still have to fight for your, your your proof of existence i think that's when equality will will, will happen but that is probably a, still a wee bit far off at the moment um and i don't want to dampen on the absolute uh, leaps and bounds we've come but I, I still think there is um a lot to go especially with our transgender community i think they're they're still fighting the good fight at the moment I think a really good example of that is um, probably something that Claire and I see in our social media feeds regularly from um, members of the public who, who complain that there's no straight pride. Well, straight pride is every single day that's not about LGBT people, you know? Um, we get this so often, you know, why do you have to shove it in our faces? Why do you have to tell us all about it? Why do you have to walk down the street claiming how great you are at, um, you know, being LGBT? 
you know, that's not what Pride is about. And that's actually, I, I guess, a good example of where we have to do more education in our community to, to people who maybe haven't supported LGBT rights in the past. We cannot just shout in a bubble all the time to other LGBT people. We have to communicate outside to um, the rest of the community, many of which will be allies and may already be on board with LGBT rights and inclusion in their communities and having diverse communities. But there's a significant proportion that don't. And I wrote about this in an article a few a few months ago, actually, because here in Fife, um, we're on our, what this would have been our fourth um, annual Fife Pride. And and the, the abuse and the hate crime in Fife has continued to rise, actually. We saw a couple of uh, Pride flags just before Fife Pride's parade um, were torn down at a shopping complex and burned around the back. There was some, there was some people scrawling graffiti on the road closure signs for Fife Pride on the streets, um, you know, with some expletives that we won't re repeat here. Um, that because LGBT people become more visible through these types of events, you've then got, um, you know, just a lot of idiots sometimes out there who just want to push back as much as they possibly can against that and do daft things like burning flags. I mean, to take down two flags and burn them is, is just a stupid thing, but you know, we're gays, we've got so many other ideas and creative ways to put up different flags and to show our pride than just a pride flag. So that's never gonna work, mate. So the answer to the straight pride is, that's every day. Just give us that one day for, for LGBT pride. Come on, at least one. Oh, I never even think to burn a flag. It's just, it blows my mind a little bit that that still happens in communities. Like when I think about stuff like that happening, I would think more way, way back when you first started doing like Pride and everything. But to think even now that it's still that bad when like that's something that I just, it's beyond me. Like it's just completely beyond me that people would behave like that. In terms of allies though, like, I mean, obviously there is the LGBT community and there's a, there's a, a wider community of people that maybe aren't involved in LGBT um, and pride and supporting the equality. What can, what can those communities and what can allies do to support you guys in challenging people that behave like that and generally just how things have been that's so deeply rooted with the inequalities that you see? I think with for allies, it's just also being the person that, you know, says to someone if somebody's made a comment or something like that you you as an ally also have to be the person saying like oh mate like that's not really acceptable i think a lot of the times um people that are lgbt or um even to be honest in any movement um even in the black lives matter movement or anything like that when they're the one that's always saying to somebody like oh like that's that's bang out that's offensive they almost get branded a snowflake i think that's the word i think everybody's using at the moment and it always just seems like oh god you can't say anything to like an lgbt person or or um, you know, like a black person about about this issue because they always get offended or oh god, you know, snowflakes, you can't say anything, political correctness gone wrong. But as an ally, I think they need to be the person as well that has the, you know, the confidence as well to say like like that that is a wee bit out of order. And I think sometimes when it's uh, you know, say a straight person talking to a straight person about it and saying like this isn't this is out of order, sometimes they take it a little bit better. They're almost <laughs> they almost are they're like, all right, okay, maybe I do need to think about that. Um as well, I've noticed recently actually um, with the with the BLM protests as well. I think challenging it in group chats as well. I, I know everybody has their own you know friends group chats that you know things are said and memes are passed around and all all of that. But I've I've noticed definitely a disconnect in what people post on you know Facebook to say. So I've seen people genuinely posting things on on Facebook that are saying, "Oh, this is ridiculous. I can't believe like." Um, you know, these people are still racist in 2020 or people are still homophobic in 2020. But then on the actual group chat side, they're posting and saying, you know, really, yeah, really offensive things that if that got posted, they probably would be branded a racist or a homophobe. And I think especially, and in, in, um, I'll, I'll not generalise, but I have seen it, uh, the, the one that I'm specifically re referring to is like, is like a lads group chat where it's, they're, they're doing it for shock factor, they're doing it for banter, what they say, but almost you're like, but you know, if that did actually get posted, you would be branded because a racist or homophobic, because what you're saying is actually racist and homophobic. And I think somebody having um, 
the, the confidence to say in that group chat like here mate that's that's actually bang out like that's I know you're just trying to do it for funniness or for shock factor or something like that but that is actually deep rooted and you never know who's actually maybe hiding something in the group chat maybe somebody in that group chat is you know LGBT or, or anything like that and it, they're seeing their friends reflecting to, back to them homophobic or racist views um, so I think especially right now to challenge systems like allies can definitely in those in their own friends groups in their um, in their group chats you know in their places of work just being the person that says that's maybe a, a bit of order maybe you need to educate yourself a little bit better and that is a very very difficult thing to do and we we understand that we're often the person that has to do it um, but I think just being an ally could definitely just take that role sometimes as well um, a little bit a little bit further yeah, I think we, we've been talking a little bit in the minority community, Sab, I know you referenced the Black Lives Matters movement and some of the parallels there about, as an ally, taking on some of that emotional labour and actually not expecting marginalised groups to have to be Wikipedia for people. You know, be the person who says, do you know what, you could find that out on the internet or I could explain that to you. Stop and and, and try and be... In, in appropriate situations, a barrier between ignorance and people having to justify their existence. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that as well. And, and the points that Claire made there, I think are really important. The, the allyship is extremely important to progress for LGBT people um, and, and other minorities as we've been, we've been discussing. Um, but I think a part of that starts with with us ourselves. So I I firmly believe that Scotland has an attitude of um, inclusion and tolerance anyway. Um, I, I think the vast majority of people just want other people to be let alone to live their lives. As long as they're not harming them or anyone that they love, then I think we're good. And I think that's where we've made a lot of progress because Scotland's quite a laid back country like that. However, um, I think where we're brave enough to come out and we don't just do that once we have to do that regularly with new people at work that we meet you know new family members that you might meet at weddings at funerals you know wherever you take a partner or a loved one there's a constant coming out that you have to do and it gets tiresome to be to be fair but the more we can be brave and talk to other people about our lives and our uh, lifestyle choices and inverted commas um, the, the more people will understand that LGBT people are just like everybody else. There's no difference to us. The more people that know a lesbian in their family or a trans person in their community or, you know, a, a black person at the workplace, the more you get to know those people as just other human beings that you get on with and you engage with, the more understanding and education that we'll have that we can pass on that hopefully we're not as prejudiced because I know that there are people that have been brought up with you know really offensive words in their families because their mum and dad used that or their, their, their aunties and uncles or grandparents used that but that was a different time we can help educate those people now to say that type of language isn't appropriate anymore anymore here's somebody that you can go and talk to and really engage with them about their life and understand what they're going through what they've been through and how you can help um, I, I, I just don't don't agree with closing down dialogue. Uh, you know, I think it's the journalist in me that wants to continue to talk um, and experience other people's lives in, 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 in different ways. I just, you know, I, I believe that is the way through um, some of the troubled times that, that we've been through recently, certainly, and, and we'll probably have to come in the future. Um, allies are important, but yeah, they've got a responsibility to be, um, to be open to listening as well. Absolutely. Well, um, before I move on to our, our final question, um, thank you both so much for, for taking part and for your honesty and for your openness and for, for sharing bits of your own journeys as well as about your organisations. Um, it means a lot to us that you're, that you're willing to come on and do that. Our final question is a little bit more general. Um, I, I don't know if either of you will have heard yet about the wishing tree that we currently have going on at PCAFs, which I realise sounds funny, but bear with me. So we were planning this year to take part in the Great Get Together, the, uh, the movement that started up in memory of Joe Cox, with the idea that there's more that we have in common that brings us together as communities and separates us. And one of the things that they suggested doing as an alternative to the Great Get Together, because obviously we can't do that in person, 
is a wishing tree. So the idea is that people get involved in a conversation locally centred around this tree where we are actually physically tying people's contributions onto the tree um, as, as a gesture about what they see for the future of Perth and Kinross beyond COVID. So there's been so much chat about what life looks like after COVID and some of the things that actually might be more positive that we can carry on, some of the needs that have been highlighted um, that we've seen. What we would like to know is what would your contribution to that be? What's your vision for how Perth and Kinross could come out of COVID and how it could look? I've been amazed by the community spirit that's that's been in, in, in Perthshire and Honestly, it's just been it's been really really heartwarming, and it's incredibly wholesome about the, how many people are, are willing to help, um, especially and things like befriending services. Um, and I know many people that have have been starting calling their neighbours for the first time. And me personally, you know, the the Thursday eight o'clock clap that was happening for the NHS. I have actually met my neighbours now. <laughs> we are actually friends now, um, which. I, I don't think that would have ever happened without COVID. I honestly don't like, we would have just continued in our wee bubble, walking down the street, not even probably saying hello to people. Um, another thing that I've, I've noticed and, and I wish for, for, I hope that this will continue on past, um, past COVID is how colorful everybody has their windows. Um, all of the kids drawn like the rainbows in, the, in their windows and things. I hope that after this, Perthick and Ross can kind of embrace a little bit more color um, I, I kind of envision, especially the Perth High Street being a bit, a little bit dreech, a little bit grey, and and I hope that that Perth and Ross can kind of just take the community spirit and colour that has been that has come out of a, a very dreech time, and and continue that on and and um, keep up that community spirit. Uh, yeah, I mean, Claire couldn't have put it any better. I think Perth and Kinross, um, we, we work in, in lots of different local authority areas across Scotland and Perth and Kinross has probably the best um, example of collaboration between equality organisations and the local authority that I've seen. So the Strategic Equalities Forum that's, read by the, that's led by the council, that includes PCAVs I know as well, uh, Claire and I sit on the LGBT forum as well, that gives LGBT people a, a, a voice at, almost at the top of the, the um, structures that make decisions and make allocations of funding for Perth and Ross, which is fun, a fantastic achievement. Um, the, my vision for, for Perth and Ross beyond, beyond COVID has to be to continue that and develop it and to use that and shout about it and showcase it to all of the other local authorities across Scotland. They're doing a brilliant job. In, in Perth and Kinross to engage minority communities. And I think um, in, in our example, in the context of LGBT people, you've seen the results of that. You know, Claire's got a fantastic Pride event up and running. We've held some awesome LGBT History Month events in February. We've got the socials now. We're about to launch some COVID relief work in your, your area as well. All pulling people together, resources, agencies, different charities and organisations, for the better of our communities and and that surely has to be through tragic circumstances one of the greatest outputs of of this covid pandemic is that we've all come a lot closer together and and hopefully that could continue in the, into the future well i'm glad to hear that perth and kinross are doing well in that respect and certainly from the minority communities hub perspective we would, we would second that um, and we will add both of your contributions to the tree We'll send you pictures. Thank you both so much, genuinely, for joining us. Um, thank you for coming on and chatting to us. And um, we look forward to hopefully speaking to you both again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having us on. Thank you for having us. Hello, I am now here with Laurie Hughes, who's our Partnership and Communities Manager at PCAVS. How are you doing, Laurie? Hello, yep, I am fine. It's always lovely to hear from you, Jenny. So we were hoping that you would have a chat to us about the Wishing Tree, Laurie. So the Wishing Tree is part of a bigger conversation about life beyond COVID. Could you tell us a wee bit about that? Yeah, sure, no problem. Um, Earlier this year, I had a discussion with our Chief Executive, Paul Graham, about PCAVs being involved in the Great Get Together. 
This is an event that's held on an annual basis in memory of the murdered Labour MP Joe Cox, where it was about bringing communities together to celebrate what we have in common rather than what divides us, which I think at this particular juncture in society is really important. This was due to happen at the end of June. Uh, however, obviously with COVID, that's not taking place anymore. And so the great get together circulated um, a document which had alternative ideas for um, events and ways of expressing that commonality. And one of the things in that document was a wishing tree. So I looked into it a little bit further and I thought it was a great way of focusing on some positivity and what was to come or what is to come in the future rather than the difficult circumstances that we have and experience at present and what has gone before. So the premise of it being that people in the local community can access the tree and hang their wishes for a, a post-COVID life on the tree. That sounds great. So who are we hoping to hear from and how can they get involved? Okay, so we want to hear from anyone and everyone, quite frankly, anyone who is in person can Ross at present, who has ideas or visions that they would like to see for the future. Um, in terms of how to get involved, there is a wishing tree based at PCAVs at the Gateway on North Methven Street. Um, and it is accessible on a Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Um, it's either in the garden or in the kind of closed off reception area, um, depending on what the weather circumstances are. Um, Kelsey, very patient Kelsey, cut out lots of leaves, um, which we are asking people to write their comments, ideas and visions for a post-COVID future on and then to tie them to the tree. If, however, you are not in Perth City Centre but still wish to participate, there are other ways to get involved. You can either send us your wish via our free post address. So scribble your wishes down on a piece of paper, pop them in an envelope with no uh, stamp required, just the word free post PCAVs on the envelope, pop it in your post box and it will make its way to us. Or alternatively, you can engage with the idea on social media on our Facebook channel or on our um, Twitter account um, using the hashtag, hashtag beyondcovidpk to get involved. Um, that allows us to kind of chat the conversation and see what people would like to have as their future. And then we can write that on bits of paper and transfer that onto the tree or, or their, on their behalf. So for people who are thinking about taking part, why is it important to hear what the community has to say about life in Perth and Kinross as we move into the recovery phase? I think if COVID has taught us anything, it's about how fantastic our sense of community is across Perth and Kinross. And it's something that we want to build on. It's something that we want to, to galvanise. We don't want to lose that sense of community spirit and that community empowerment that we've seen across the area during COVID. Um, we, we want to nurture that and grow it further. So this is, this is one way of trying to gather people's thoughts, ideas and opinions as to what they would like to see that next phase to look like as we, as we begin to look forward. But I think beyond that, it's helpful to have something positive to move towards. Um, I think we all, as consumers of media, can get quite bogged down in a lot of the negativity surrounding COVID at the moment, which is very easy to come by. However, there are glimmers of hope, and this tree is one way of trying to encapsulate that. Thank you, Laurie. So I guess there's only one question left to ask, which is, what would your contribution to the wishing tree be? What are your hopes for Perth and Kinross beyond the COVID crisis? Well, I could easily use a cop out and say I don't live in Perth and Kinross, but I realise that that's not the game that you're playing, Jenny Keenan. So on that basis, um, I think my biggest hope for Perth and Kinross moving forward is that we continue this sense of empowered communities. People have really stepped up. Um, and I hope that that continues the COVID crisis. Um, I think on a, on a personal level, I, I want people to remember how kind and considerate and empathetic they've been to other people. That's the type of person, Kim Ross, that I want to be involved with and that I want my children to grow up in.
Thank you, Laurie, and thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm sure we'll speak to you again very soon. Yep, perfect. Thanks, Jenny. Take care. Thank you for joining us today, and thank you to Stuart and Claire. Join us next week when we will be speaking to our own Chief Executive, Paul Graham, about equality more generally, touching on his own experience from leading a third sector organisation. Until then, take care. Positively PCAVs is a member of the Fair City Podcast Network. Your hosts are Jenny Keenan and Amy Bryson. Our editing is done by Lindsay McCallum. Thank you to Stuart Duffy from Pink Saltire, Claire McKenzie from Perth Your Pride and Laurie Hughes from PCAVs for their contributions to this week's episode.